Welcome to the Plugged In Podcast. I'm your host, Neil Chatterjee, and I'm thrilled this week to be joined by Lauren Schur, the Director of Sustainability and Environmental Policy at NextEra Energy. Lauren, thank you for joining us here on Plugged In. Good morning, Neil. Glad to be here with you. I'm excited to speak with you today about our company and our recent decarbonization announcements. Let's start there. I am very familiar with the next era energy behemoth in the energy and electricity space, but I'm not sure a lot of our listeners who maybe don't follow energy policy in and out every day know really about what a massive entity next era is. Can you kind of give our folks a sense of what the company's footprint is, what sort of work you guys do, where you're located and the like? Sure. Thanks for the opportunity and thanks for the invitation to be with, here with you today. NextEra Energy is massive, like you said, a massive energy company, but we pride ourselves in a lot of ways. In one way, we were the biggest company you've never heard of. And that's not by accident, but we've, we've traditionally had a lower public profile as a company, but I'll tell you who we are and what we do. We're made up of two principal businesses. One you may have heard of called Florida Power and Light, and that's the, our business in the state of Florida. And we're the largest utility in the state of Florida. And we serve up to five, five and a half million customer accounts. And we are one of the cleanest ge- generating fleets in the country. We in Florida here, we operate natural gas, nuclear power, solar and storage. And we have one of the highest electric reliabilities in the the country. And so that's our business in the state of Florida. And then outside of the state of Florida, we're known as NextEra Energy Resources. And that company, really a a terrific uh, clean energy company where we build, own and operate wind, solar, storage, and natural gas infrastructure across the country. And any given year, we invest up to 11 to $15 billion in capital investments across the country. That's with FPL and NextEra Energy Resources. And that puts us on par with the Amazons of the world, the Comcasts of the world. And so we're we're really a steel in the ground type company. And when I say steel in the ground, I mean grid infrastructure, wind projects, solar projects, battery storage projects. We just finished a natural gas plant in Dania Beach, Florida. And so we, we are an energy company. And we also think of ourselves as a technology company because we do operate all of these plants and assets across the country. And we have to do that extremely efficiently. And you know that when you're marrying wind and solar up with demand, you have to be super focused on making sure your load meets demand. And that's a that's a technology problem. And so we think about ourselves as an electricity provider, but we also push the envelope with technology and, and not just for generation, but how we deliver those electrons to our customer when they're needed. And so that's that's who we are as a company. And recently, uh, let's see, June 14th, our company announced that we are embarking on a decarbonization effort across our entire enterprise, where we're going to eliminate carbon emissions from our scope one and scope two sources entirely by the year 2045. And we're not going to use traditional offsets to meet that goal, we are going to decarbonize ourselves. And in a way, we're using that as really a launching pad to help decarbonize the rest of the electricity sector and in turn, help decarbonize the U.S. economy. Because we believe that if we can build a decarbonized electricity grid, 
we're really creating the platform for the rest of the economy to further electrify, let's say, transportation or industrial processes. But if they can rely on a grid that's clean, then we can really help eliminate those carbon emissions. So this is a huge deal. And I think to put it in perspective for our listeners, just the scope of the size of NextEra is interesting to me for why you can have such a leadership role in this space. I believe I read some time ago that, and I guess it depends on any given day, that NextEra had a bigger market cap than ExxonMobil. I don't know if that's still the case, but it's, you know, it's, it's an indicator of how big of a presence that company has. So this is a huge deal. And I'm just curious as to the thinking that went into this. It's not being prompted by any kind of state or federal regulatory action? Is this really consumer driven? Is it company driven? I know you're the head of sustainability. Kind of walk our listeners through the thinking that went into this pretty substantial announcement. Yeah, there was a lot of thinking that went into it. And as you as you noted, you know, we, we don't have a regulatory mandate or anything forcing this decision. And if you look around, other corporate entities have often announced very aspirational net zero goals. And that's great. There's a widespread you know, agreement that we need to do something to reduce our carbon emissions as a country. We have always said we will, next year we'll announce a zero carbon goal when we can see the full plan. And we believe now we are at a point in, in history and an important time for our company where we can see the full plan from now until 2045. And we actually built a resources plan from now until 2045 to show us how to get there. So that was one guiding principle for us. We need to do this in a way that is not purely aspirational. The second guiding principle for us, Neil, is that we wanted to do it in a way that it's not breaking our budget, right? We need to be disciplined investors. We have a long history as a company as making strategic investments, strategic bets, but also being very financially disciplined. And as a regulated utility, we have to keep customer bill impacts, project costs in mind. And so we've done this announcement in a way where we're saying it's zero carbon emissions, but also zero incremental costs for customers. And that's something that was very important for our CEO, John Ketchum, to be able to make this commitment. He wanted to see the full path, but then he also wanted to be able to to guarantee our customers that we're not going to do anything too drastic and too quickly that would impact their bottom lines. Yeah. So, I mean, I've read that your goals are 70% reduction below 2005 levels by 2025, 82% by 2030, 87% by 2035, 94% by 2040, and then zero emissions in 2045 without the use of carbon offsets. That's pretty impressive and aggressive. What will be the principal driver? Is is it, is it really deploying more solar? Is it storage? Is it a combination of solar and storage? Is it wind? What is sort of the, the resource mix that you guys are targeting to help achieve these goals? Great question. And I think when you pointed to our five-year milestones, when we made our announcement, we, we said we would hold ourselves to account every five years. And that's something that's really a first in our sector as well, is to really come out very publicly and transparently about the fact that we're going to make this progress over time and not just wait until the last minute 
and hope that some sort of technology comes around and really, you know, is our silver bullet. So we put on the table technology that's available today, technology that we're piloting and technology that we know will become cost effective over time. What I'm going to describe to you is our plan that we've made in the year 2022 with the acknowledgement that if additional or new zero carbon technology is developed and that it is cost effective, we're allowed to update our plan, right? We're not going to say it's set in stone today, but as long as it's carbon free and it's cost effective for our customers, it will be on the table. But here's how we designed it today. Of course, we'll continue our, our wonderful business, our wind business, our solar and storage business at Nextera Energy Resources. But where we have the majority of our fossil today is at Florida Power and Light. And so what we've said we'll do is build a significant amount of solar and storage to help meet demand for when the sun is shining and when solar is available and those shorter term one to two hour or two to four hour solar batteries that are available today will be paired nicely with solar. But really the ability to get to that 30 hour storage, that longer term duration of storage we believe that will be met by green hydrogen. And so what we plan for today, and I don't want to forget, excuse me, that what we've planned to continue to run our nuclear fleet that we have in Florida. We have two nuclear power plants in Florida, the Turkey Point plant, and then the St. Lucie plant. And so that we've planned that those nuclear facilities will run throughout the duration of this of our target. And so in order to meet the full generation, the full load, we plan to convert our existing natural gas fleet to burn green hydrogen, which will at first will be a blend at the beginning. But then over time, we think we can get to 100% hydrogen combustion by the year 2045 with our entire fleet. And we'll, we'll begin those plant conversions in the early 2040s. So yeah, can we zero in on that a little bit? People ask me all the time for my views on on hydrogen and green hydrogen. I'm obviously coming from a regulatory background. We really don't have much of a regulatory apparatus in the US to even contemplate hydrogen. We're literally centuries behind Europe in this area. For our listeners, can you explain a little bit about what green hydrogen would look like and technologically from an innovation standpoint, like how real is this? How feasible is this that we're going to be able to, I think you guys are projecting something like 16,000 megawatts of uh, from green hydrogen, you know, that's a that's a big number. How do we realistically get that? It is a big number and we have to get there. That's the challenge, right? Or the opportunity. We think it's a huge opportunity to lean, lean into innovation and into the future, but we're starting small. So in Florida, we have a green hydrogen pilot that will be in operation by the end of 2023 that is paired at our existing natural gas plant in Okeechobee, Florida. And that's just very close to Lake Okeechobee, not far from where I'm sitting today. But what we've done is we built a solar facility near our existing natural gas plant. And then we will have five electrolysis plants or machines paired with that solar. And then we will essentially take the energy from the solar and then that will provide electricity to power the generators. The electrolyzers will produce the green, and we call it green. I'll just be very candid. We call it green hydrogen. Hydrogen comes in many colors these days. Okay. So we call green hydrogen, the hydrogen that's generated from either solar or wind or completely a renewable source. There's pink hydrogen, which is nuclear. I don't want to get into all the colors of hydrogen, but it's really quite an exhaustive list these days. We'll take the green hydrogen that's produced on site, very close to our existing natural gas plant, and we'll start 
blending it with the natural gas in order to reduce the consumption of natural gas on site and to, in turn, reduce the amount of carbon emissions that are coming from that facility. So I think about green hydrogen in another way is that it also will be a Florida-grown fuel. Right now, Florida doesn't have a vast amount of natural gas. We're not like Texas where you can stick a straw in the ground. So if we can generate fuel here, especially if it's created from solar, I think that creates a tremendous opportunity for the state. I mean, think of the opportunities that we could create there if Florida doesn't have to rely on gas infrastructure or drilling or anything like that. I mean, it just creates an interesting opportunity for the state to be able to generate fuel for itself. No, it's very exciting. I want to circle back a little bit to what you stated in the beginning, where you know the company's goal is really to do this, to make this transition, to decarbonize without burdening consumers. It's going to take a lot of investment. We're at a period right now where inflation is putting tremendous pressure on energy. Natural mm-hmm. gas prices are up. It's since been addressed, but the, the commerce investigation, the anti-dumping investigation was causing some headwinds for solar. There's questions about the solar supply chain. Can you talk through some of how the company is planning to deal with these variables and and how you can protect consumers, make this transition, decarbonize, but do it in a way that that maintains reliability and keeps costs down? This is the challenge that's facing the entire electricity sector, if not the entire energy sector right now. How do we balance decarbonization with affordability and reliability in the face of some of these challenges, how is the company planning to navigate? I think we're going to lean on our track record as being an innovator first, right? We're going to continue to, to chase new technology, to chase better efficiency and processes in order to get costs down. Look, we got ourselves Florida Power and Light. In the early 2000s, we, we decided we were going to get ourselves off of foreign oil and we moved to natural gas, and it ended up being a huge cost savings for our customers. And oh, by the way, it helps the environment too, because we're, we have a much lower carbon intensity burning natural gas in our generating fleet as opposed to oil. So we have a track record of leaning into innovation, finding technology that works, and doing it in a way that we can take out fuel costs. So by the way, if we're not burning natural gas, We've estimated there are up to $10 billion in natural gas savings and fuel savings for our customers in Florida. And that's huge. That's what the cost curves that we know today, Neil. And and I, I wish in my heart of hearts that I didn't expect those prices to continue to increase. But I, I think that we're on a path right now where that price is going to continue to go up. So it's paired with taking fuel costs out of the bill and the innovation and the track record that that we have as a company. And so we're we're looking at this as a problem that we want to solve because we believe that leadership here will not only help customers and and our company, but we also think it's a tremendous opportunity for other companies in the electric sector to learn from our trajectory and our plans in order to decarbonize themselves. And so we recognize that it's going to be a challenge, but we're looking at it and as a journey and we're excited about it. And I can tell you that we're already getting to work with strategy and trying to solve these problems. 
What role do you see government policies playing in this transition? I mean, this is we're talking this is a 20 plus year plan. We've just seen over the last decade, the political pendulum swing back and forth and energy environment policy swing with it. As we record this, we don't know yet what the Supreme Court is going to do on the West Virginia versus EPA case that would have significant potentially implications on how carbon emissions are regulated. Curious to get your take on, is this largely going to be industry driven or will government play a role in this going forward over the next couple decades? I think it will largely be industry driven. I think that the government could have a role in continuing to provide investments in zero carbon technology and innovative technologies. We've seen several different iterations of that in the energy sector over the years, whether it be through hydraulic fracturing, through SMRs. I think those types of investments are super important and through the bipartisan infrastructure bill, maybe there will be more fruit to bear as far as zero carbon technologies, but that will be very important. And I think other than that, I would, I would ask that we, you know, the government stay out of it. I think the investments, innovation, and, you know, the technology of tomorrow is super important. And I think that that will, that will help the entire country be competitive and across the globe. Now you guys are making this major announcement, this major strategic goal at a time that you're undergoing a leadership transition. You mentioned the new CEO, John Ketchum coming in and Jim Robo, who's really just left a tremendous mark on the company. Full disclosure for our listeners, Jim Robo is someone I work very closely with, but can you just talk a little bit about his role in this and and his real legacy, not just at Next Era, but to the energy industry writ large. I love talking about Jim. I'm excited for his retirement. He's done a tremendous job here at the company. And so I there's nothing, nothing that goes on here today. You know, he he's worked on everything. I'll just say it has had an impact on everyone and everything we do. And I think about this for Jim's legacy in our in our real zero announcement is that Jim was very thoughtful and deliberate and, and never wanted to announce an aspirational carbon goal for the sake of making an announcement, right? We are a, a disciplined company and we wanted to do this in a way, and this was something Jim was not shy about. He's been quoted, but he wanted to be able to see the full picture. When he made an announcement like this, and he wanted us to be able to say, this is exactly how we're going to achieve it. And there's not a big gap, right? And so that's something that we've all learned from him. And I would say the other piece of that is the, the cost effectiveness and the, the really the super high priority that this is not going to cost our customers additional money, right? That, that is something that Jim has really imparted on all of us at the company that if there's a way for you to find, to innovate, or if there's a way to pull costs out of the bill, or if there's a way that we can really find savings for our customers, like let's go articulate that problem and get our smartest people on it to work on it. And so he he's really, and it's a, it's a life lesson, right? It's like you could throw money at a problem and hope that fixes it, or you can figure out a way to be disciplined and grow at the same time. And that's that's really something that Jim has and all of his employees really take to heart is that we have to be good stewards of our budgets, of our projects, because we work for customers, right? And so that is something that I see in our announcement 
in our messaging over and over again is that we're super focused on the customers and making sure that we're good stewards of those dollars. And Jim was obsessed with that. So, you know, we would do this annual exercise every year where we would try to find the best cost savings ideas. And that's something that Jim created for our company. And I can see his legacy played out in a a lot of ways in this announcement. But there'll be a lot of continuity as well. And and one of the things that's impressive about NextEra's leadership is that you've got a lot of the top folks who've been around the company for a long time. It ought to be a a pretty seamless transition. Oh, it's it's been absolutely seamless, right? We... Everybody that was a part of the continuity plan came from the company. And I think that they moved offices the next day and it was, all right, you know, not a lot of disruption. I think that our company did that very well. And there was no doubt that that was the way that it would happen. I'm excited for our new leadership team. And they are extremely excited about our, our Real Zero announcement. And to kick off, you know, a new leadership and a new goal at the same time has been a massive undertaking, but one that we're super excited to be a part of. And then this is where John is taking our company, not only decarbonizing ourselves, but then also being a leader for the rest of the sector and the rest of the economy. I think it's, it's just a very exciting place to be right now. Well, Lauren, thank you for that. Thank you for kind of laying out all the impressive work that the company is doing to lead us towards a sustainable and carbon-free future without sacrificing reliability and affordability. It's the central challenge for all of us in the energy space right now. And I appreciate the leadership that you all are showing. Here on the Plugged In Podcast, we like to close with something light about our guests. Now, I will note, having uh, had the opportunity to visit URL's headquarters, you guys are situated in one of the more spectacular parts of the country, and you have opportunities there that uh, some of us who live in the D.C. swamp don't get to experience from a recreational standpoint. Can you tell us something about what it's like to live down there and, and, and something interesting that you've been up to? Like? Yes, we live in a beautiful part of the world. I live in Jupiter, Florida, which is home to many bodies of water, one being the intercoastal waterway. And this weekend, my family and I were at the newly renamed Nathaniel Reed National Wildlife Refuge. And we had we were going for a paddle. We're getting on our our paddle boards and my five-year-old daughter, Louise, decided she didn't need mom and she took off and she went on her paddle all by herself. And it was a very prideful moment for me, someone who's loved being on the water my whole life to see my daughter really take the reins and and take off by herself was a a nice parenting win, if you will. (laughs) That's awesome. I got to experience that with my kids riding a bike. Nothing quite as impressive as paddleboarding. But I do want to take that light point and and circle back to something that I just think is super interesting is that, you know, people think of us who who work in the energy space that, you know, we're focused on producing and providing energy without focus on the environment. I mean, you just touched on it. You know, you're at a wildlife refuge, you grew up around the water, you want your daughter to grow up around the water. And I just think that's like really interesting. And it's a point that gets lost sometimes is that those of us who work in the energy space care about the environment. We love our natural surroundings and and we want to maintain them. We get out there, we pick up trash, we make it better, right? We're going to make it better than, than we found it. That's my view. Well, thank you for that effort. And Lauren, thank you 
for joining us on the Plugged In podcast. For our listeners, I will note, as uh, as you hear Lauren talk about her experiences in Jupiter, being on the water and enjoying that, we are actually going to take a summer break ourselves here at the Plugged In podcast. So this is actually the last episode of season two, and we look forward after a summer break, hopefully on the water ourselves, to relaunch season three this fall. But in the interim, everyone have a safe and enjoyable summer, and we look forward to rejoining the Plugged In podcast later this year. Thank you. Thanks again for listening to season two of the Plugged In podcast. You can also keep up with all things energy by following the Washington Examiner on all of our social media channels and subscribing to the Daily on Energy newsletter written by yours truly, Jeremy Beeman.